0: I want to label the message a prayer for spiritual greatness. When I talk about greatness, I'm not using it in the terminology of the world. I think most of us have heard from the late Muhammad Ali, where he used to proclaim, I am the greatest. He didn't just say it once or twice, but he said it many times. And even in the sports world, we talk about the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And when I talk about greatness, I'm not approaching it from that point of view. I'm not saying or thinking about the fact that we need to be the greatest when it comes to being a Christian, that we need to be the greatest of all Christians. I'm thinking along the lines of what the Bible says. I'm thinking of spiritual greatness. I'm thinking of biblical greatness. I'm thinking of greatness that Jesus spoke about in Mark chapter 10 when his disciples were wrestling and fighting and arguing about who's going to be the greatest of all. And our Lord responded that greatness in his kingdom is different than greatness in the world. Greatness in his kingdom means that you put others first. You're a slave of others that you serve others. That's greatness in a biblical sense. And when I read Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 17, when I think on this passage, I can't help but think that Paul is praying for these Christians at Ephesus that they will be spiritually great. And what I'm suggesting, he's praying that they might be everything and all that God would want them to be and that God saved them to be. That's what this prayer is all about. Paul is not trying to let these Christians or encourage these Christians to be number one. What he wants is that these Christians would be everything, all that God saved them to be. And when God saves us, when we become a part of his family, yes, there is no turning back. There's no going back to the world. But there's so much more also that God wants us to fulfill his desires for our lives. And so when we talk about greatness, Just be reminded that God is on your side, Christian, that God wants you to be all that he saved you to be. He wants you to be spiritually great in that sense. And that's what this prayer is about. It's another marvelous prayer from the Apostle Paul. It's not technically a prayer. It's a prayer report. He is telling these Christians at Ephesus, this is what I'm praying for you. And as we look at this prayer, we should be praying this for each other. And even more importantly, we should be praying this for ourselves. It's hypocritical for me as a preacher to tell you what Paul prays for others, and I don't pray this for you. As a pastor, your pastor, I should be praying these prayers for you and and you should be praying these prayers for me and we should be praying these prayers for one another. They are wonderful, magnificent, God-breed prayers that should characterize our lives as a people of God. So we're, we're not interested in just information about praying. We're looking to these words of Paul for transformation so that our prayer life will be different, that it won't be the same, so that we'll be encouraged to be the kind of prayers that God wants us to be. Now, this prayer for spiritual greatness reveals some fundamentals of one's prayer life, some basics And all of us need to get back to the basics when it comes to praying. Uh, We need to make sure that when we do pray, that these fundamentals, that these basics are not missing in our prayer life. And may I be so wooden and pedantic as to say this: these things are a checklist for us. We need to make sure that when we cry out to God in prayer, that we can check off each of these areas. So one of the basics, one of the fundamentals of praying is that there is a reason for prayer. There's a reason for prayer, and Paul reveals this in his prayer for spiritual greatness. And we're introduced to this reason at the very beginning of Paul's prayer report in verse 14. He says, for this reason. So it wasn't that the Spirit of God just jumped on him and he was moved to pray. No, Paul says there was a reason, there was a justification that I cried out to God for you on a regular basis for this reason. It's the very same exact words that are in chapter 3, verse 1. When Paul begins that chapter, he says, for this reason. He was getting ready to pray at the beginning of the chapter, but kind of got sidetracked. And so when he says, for this reason, in chapter 3, verse 1, he's going back to chapter 2. And he's reminding us of the blessings of regeneration, the blessings of reconciliation, and also what we find in chapter 3, the blessings of revelation. So Paul says, the reason why I'm crying out to God for you in prayer it's because of the blessings that are yours in Jesus Christ. I'm not praying for you because you're sick. I'm not praying for you because you're in trouble. I'm not praying for you because times are hard. And d- I'm praying for you because God has blessed you. And, and I want to make sure that these blessings that God has given you will be yours. And so he says, for this reason. For the reason of regeneration, that we were once dead in trespasses and sins, but now we are alive in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm praying for you because of the fact you've been regenerated. I'm praying for you because you were once alienated from God. You were once without hope. But now you have been brought to God through the work of Christ on the cross. You've been reconciled to God. And when you're reconciled to God, God expects you to understand that you've been reconciled to the people of God. You can't talk about vertical reconciliation. I'm reconciled to God. And you ignore horizontal reconciliation. And so in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, Paul talks about reconciliation, the blessing of that, that we're now at peace with God. And we need to flesh that out so that we're at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, for this reason, the reason of reconciliation. I'm praying for you. But also he says, it's for the reason of the fact that you have received the blessing of revelation. God has given Paul. He was the instrument of new truth, of the church how the church is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, you want to know why I pray for you? You want to know why I cry out to God for you? It's because of God's blessing upon you for revelation, for reconciliation, and for regeneration. There ought to be a reason to our prayers there ought to be a reason why we come to God in prayer. And Paul is letting us know that we can come to God in prayer even when things are going well in the lives of his people. And that's really one of the greatest reasons. When we think about all that God has done for us, there's a great danger that we will miss it, that we won't perceive And know and understand the blessing of regeneration and reconciliation and revelation for our lives as a people of God. There is also a recipient of the prayer. Not just simply a reason for the prayer, but there's a recipient for this prayer for spiritual greatness. So so Paul is not just uttering words. The words are coming out of his mouth. Words are filling the air. No, Paul says, when I pray, I'm not praying so that my words reach upstairs. I'm not praying so that my words might hit the ceiling. Paul says, I want to identify for you who I'm praying to. And he says, I'm praying to the one who is the Father. Father. That's who he's praying to. He, he's describing this special relationship between God and believers. And, and one of the ways you can picture that relationship is you can say it's a father-child relationship. Now, I'm not talking about a father who is mean or who is mistreated. One I'm talking about the heavenly father, the perfect father. And Paul says, when I pray, I'm not just uttering words into the air. I'm not just trying to hear what I'm saying. I'm praying particularly and specifically to the one that is the Father. This God of heaven and earth, one of the ways that you can identify him, at least we as believers, we can identify him as the Father. And Paul love to refer to God as Father. You look at the book of Ephesians, he refers to our Father in chapter 1, verse 2. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 3. Father of glory. We looked at that in the previous prayer of Paul. And the Father, and the Father of all, in the sense that he's creator. But Paul says, I we want to identify for you, Ephesians, the recipient of my prayer. I'm not praying to some idol who's got ears but can't hear, who has eyes but can't see, has a mouth but can't speak, but I'm praying to the Father, the, the one that I have a special relationship because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because I repented of my sins and put my faith in Christ, God has saved me. And he's more than just God to me now. He's my heavenly father. He's the one who cares for me. He's the one who is concerned for me. He protects me. He watches over me. And Paul said, that's the recipient of my prayer. That's who I pray to. I don't know who you're praying to, Ephesians. I don't know who you're praying to, Fairview. But Paul says he's praying to the Father. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just simply identify the recipient of this great prayer, but he describes this recipient. That is, he goes beyond just simply saying the Father. And I want to suggest to you that if you're not able to describe God in detail, so to speak, in a greater way, your prayers will be small and little and ineffective. You want to pray prayers like Paul? Enlarge your vision and understanding of who God is. Yes, he's the Father, but Paul goes on to say in verse 15, He's the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, that's, that's terminology that is kind of hard to understand. In fact, if you were to study this, commentators don't really agree on this. I think what Paul is saying, he's saying that God is Lord of all. I'll, I'll just get down to the bottom line. Uh, one of the things that Paul says about the Father The Father is the source here. The Father is the one responsible for every family in heaven and on earth. And I take it by family, he's referring to angelic beings. For those of you who have been part of Wednesday night Bible study, you don't have a warped understanding of angelic beings. He's created beings. Uh, you, you, You don't see wings and say, oh, that's an angel. You have a better understanding of angels, God's created beings. And when it comes to the angelic world, there are good angels and there are evil angels that we call demons. But Paul is saying that God is the father of every family, even those in heaven. He's stressing that those families in heaven are organized, they are structured. They're not just individual angels with no relationship to each other. Even in the demonic world, we have rulers and powers and world forces, etc. They're organized. And in the realm of get angels, they're organized. But they're named not by themselves. They're named by God. That is The scripture's way of stating that the father has dominion over the angelic world. He's Lord of all. And he's the father and he's the one who has named every family on earth. When we talk about family in the narrow sense and in the broader sense, we normally talk about a father and a mother and children. Where did that concept come from? Where the concept of fatherhood come from, it comes from God. And I think all that Paul is trying to communicate, that when he prays, he's praying to the one who is Lord of all. He's praying to the sovereign one who is over creation, Whether that creation be human beings or angelic beings, he is not only over them, but even involved. Paul is saying here, the one who is has named and is naming. God didn't just create the world and backed away from it. He's still at work. So we are praying to who? Paul said, I'm praying to the Lord of heaven and of earth, the Lord who actively names every family in heaven and on earth. But there's something else that's fundamental to the prayer life. Not only is there a reason for the praying, not only is there this idea of a recipient that we're praying to, but there's a reverence in prayer. A reverence. So prayer is not simply routine. Prayer is not simply ritual. Prayer is worship. Prayer is worship in submission and paying homage to God. You say, where do you get that? When you look at verse 14, Paul doesn't say for this reason I pray. To God. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees. So Paul equates praying with bowing his knees. And he is literally saying that when he prays, he bows his knees. Now, now remember, where is Paul? He's in prison. He's chained, probably, to Roman soldiers. And and Paul says, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed to get down on my knees and cry out to my God. He, He says, I bow my knees. Now, there was an occasion when the deacons had a very spirited deacon board meeting. Deacon Ed, you uh, kind of led the discussion, but it was around the posture of prayer. What is the posture of prayer? Deacon Ed, you kind of took the sense Well, I grew up in the church, been in the church all my life. And he said, uh, no, the best posture for prayer is to lift your hands high when you pray. Deacon Dave Stewart over here, he took another view. Uh, He kind of took the more traditional view. That when you pray, you should close your eyes and bow your head. And then there was deacon Ken Chao. He took a different view. He went to scripture and he uh, said that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he laid down flat on his face and cried out to God. And then there was Deacon Ted Dane. You know, Ted does some things. We don't know what he does. He does a lot of secret things. So he stressed the fact that when we pray, we need to just go in our closet. We need to be in our prayer closet. And, and I just had to interject. I listened to all of the arguments, I, and they were spirited. And I, I just had to interject to them. I told them from experience. The best prayer I ever prayed when I was around seven years old, and I fell into a pool, and I was drowning, and I thought I saw whales and fish, etc. and water was coming into my mouth and into my nose, and I prayed, and God rescued me. So I was thinking that was the best posture of prayer for me. But you know, that's a made-up story. No, I was drowning, but I didn't have enough sense to pray. Uh, I was worried about my, you know, going down and down. But we debate about the posture of prayer. And please don't come to this verse and say that when I pray, I need to get on my knees and pray. No, what God is concerned about is not our physical posture of prayer. He's concerned about the attitude of prayer in our hearts. Am I bowing my knees in my heart in reverence to God, in worship of God? That's the attitude that I must possess, that I have to not literally get on my knees. Sometimes our outward expression should express our reverence and worship of God in prayer but you can get on your knees and you can bow your head and close your eyes and not reverence God in prayer. When it comes to the fundamentals of this prayer for spiritual greatness, when it comes to the fundamentals of prayer, may I encourage you that when you cry out to God, that there is a reason why you pray. Be sensitive to what is going on around you. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God because there can be circumstances and situations that you see. There can be things that are shared with you that ought to prompt you to pray. Be sensitive. We don't pray simply because it's part of our worship service. We pray because of the needs of God's people. We pray on Wednesday night because of the needs of the people of God. We need to be sensitive. We need to say, I'm bowing my knees in my heart for a reason. And make sure that when you pray, that you got a good view and understanding of who you're praying to. That you're praying to the one who is the Father, to the one who is the Lord of all the creator of heaven and earth, and your understanding of God should be growing and becoming fuller and fuller each and every day so that when you pray, you pray with confidence. You know that you're coming to a God who can answer prayer. If my view of God is he's simply the man upstairs, if my view of God is simply he's the old man Why would I have any confidence that God is going to answer my prayers? If all He is is upstairs, I can walk upstairs. If all He is is an old man becoming decrepit, etc., what can He do? No, our view of God shapes our prayer life. And so you need to know you're praying, as Paul says here, to the Father. To the Lord of creation, the one who is active and involved. You need to know you're praying to the Father of glory. And the list goes on and on and on. And there ought to be a reverence in your prayer. And again, I'm not advocating a particular posture of prayer. But I'm advocating that in our hearts, we are bowing our knees to God out of reverence for him, out of respect for him as a part of worshiping him. These are some of the fundamentals of prayer that we basically glean from Paul. But as we look at these fundamentals of prayer, and even though Paul tells us you know, what the why of prayer, you know, the whom we're praying to, and, and the, the reverence, that's not what makes this prayer great. This prayer is not a prayer for spiritual greatness because of the fact that the recipient is God. It's not a prayer for greatness because of the fact that we reverence God in prayer. This prayer is great because of what Paul prays. And that's what I want you to see. I want us to look at the petitions of this prayer in verses 16 through 19. And we will just cover one of these today, the petitions of the prayer. And I just want to remind us that we use that acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, to help us and guide us in our prayer life. And we remember and we point out that prayer is adoration. Prayer is confession of sins. Prayer is thanksgiving. But but don't you ever, ever get it wrong that prayer is supplication. That at the heart of praying is asking. God has no problem at all with his people coming to him and crying out to him and asking him to work and to do according to his will. That's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Prayer fundamentally is not just simply adoration and confession and thanksgiving. It is asking. Uh, The God of heaven and earth encourages you and encourages me to come to him and ask for great things, things that you and I can't do, things that no pastor or deacon board or deaconess board can do, things that only he can do. And so Paul comes to God and says, God, I'm not ashamed to lift up my voice and ask that you do great things. I want more than you just to bless somebody. I'm praying for spiritual greatness. And so we see this petition that Paul makes that believers be strengthened. And that's in verse 16, in the first part of verse 17. And let me just read that prayer, that petition in this context. Paul says in verse 16 that he, that is that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is such a marvelous petition. That to do it justice, we have to put it under the microscope and dissect it. We we really need to see exactly what it is that Paul is praying here. And, And he's saying, God, grant. God, give. God, be gracious to these Christians at Ephesus. That they might be strengthened. That they might become strong. That's what he wants for them. In light of all of the things that God has done for them, he's saying, God, I'm on my knees. I'm crying out to you, knowing that you can do all things. I'm crying out to you, that you would be gracious, that you would grant that you would give something to these Christians at Ephesus. And he says, God, I want you to do it according to the riches of your glory. And don't miss that. He's saying, God, give this to them. Grant this to them. Be gracious to them. And may it be a reflection, God, of how rich, You are, when he says glory, he's talking about the fact that God is a glorious God, that God is a God, that when you add up all of his attributes and put them all together, he's awesome, he's mighty, he's wonderful. So when you think about God, uh, God, I want you to answer this prayer so that it reflects that you are glorious, so that it reflects the fact that when it comes to your glory, you're rich, you're wealthy. God, God, I want this prayer to reflect the fact that you know everything perfectly, that you're everywhere present at the same time, that you can do all things, that you're holy, that you're righteous, that you're gracious, that you're loving, etc. Add it all up. And God, when, when, when I ask you to do this, may it reflect to people, that you are a God who is wealthy and rich when it comes to your character and your conduct. You, you think about who God is and, and you put all of that together and what you have are riches and you have wealth. And Paul says, God, I'm asking you to give, to grant these Christians at Ephesus not out of your riches, but according to the riches of your glory. That's easy to illustrate. You give one dollar, typically that's a reflection of you giving out of your riches. Even if you're poor, giving one dollar is normally giving out of your riches. But if you're rich, you can't give a dollar you can, but it's out, it's not according to. There's a big difference between giving out of and giving according to. And I ain't going to talk about giving here. I'm just going to bring up the fact that Paul says, God, I want you to give something to these Ephesians. And God, when you give it to them, I know you're rich, I know you're wealthy but I'm not asking you to give it to them out of your, I'm not asking you to give them a dollar. I'm asking for you to give according to your riches so that what they receive is a reflection of how great and awesome and how mighty you are. And Paul tells us what it is he wants God to give these Christians. He says, I want God to give to them strength. He prays that they would be strengthened, that they would become strong. And again, if we're going to appreciate what Paul's asking, we got to put this under the microscope because he says that he wants them to be strengthened with power. There's a lot of things that could identify the substance of what God wants us to be strengthened with. Be strengthened with grace, be strengthened with mercy, be strengthened with love. You now, Paul says, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that God would strengthen you with power. In other words, the power of God. Remember the power of God we talked about last Sunday. That power, that surpassing greatness of the power of God. That power where Christ was raised from the dead. That power that seated Christ at the right hand of God. That, that power that made Christ head of all things and of the church. Paul saying, God, strengthen them. Make them become strong with your power. That's what he's crying out for God to do. That we won't be weaklings, but that we will be strong, become strong. That power that is needed when we're involved in spiritual warfare. Beginning of that passage in Ephesians 6.10, Paul says to his readers, become strong, become strengthened in the Lord. We need that strength, that power. And Paul is saying, God, strengthen them with your power. Not with human strength, human power, but with your power. And it's a request to be strengthened through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, that is, there's no way we'll become strong unless the Spirit of God is active and involved in our life as Christians. There's no way we're going to be strengthened if we're not walking by the Spirit, if we're not filled by the Spirit, there's no way we're going to be strong if we're quenching the Spirit and saying no to the Spirit, if we're grieving the Spirit with sin of speech. Paul says it's the Spirit of God who comes along and who actually strengthens us through the Spirit. And the Spirit will use the Word of God The spirit will use trials and tribulation to strengthen us. The spirit will use even the people of God. And that's why public worship is so important. That's why it's important that we get to know each other. Because we are to sharpen one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to help one another. It's a request to be strengthened in the inner man. Not the outer man. I see some of you brothers like to put on those tight-fitting T-shirts, make it seem like you got some biceps, etc. It's just your shirt is too small. So, but sometimes we put the emphasis on being strong physically, on the outside. Paul says, I'm not interested in you having a six-pack. I'm not interested in you being well-defined. I'm concerned about your inner person, your inner man. The phrase is not used too often, but it is used in 1 Peter with regards to wives being what God wants in the inner person of beauty. Paul is saying this is strength being strong with power for the inner person. The outward man is decaying. And we get evidence of this weekly at Fairview. As some of us are part of uh, the old age, now we're older, our, our bodies are frail. They're decaying. But the good news is that even though the outward man might be decaying, the inner man The the real you, the place of your heart, your emotions, your will, your desire can become strong with power by and through the Holy Spirit. And and Paul wraps up this prayer request, this petition by letting us know that it's a request to be strengthened according to verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm not going to unpack all of that but Paul's prayer he's praying that they become spiritually strong so that these Christians at Ephesus so that you and I you and me that we can be spiritually strong so that Christ will be at home in our life can I say that again Paul is praying this prayer so that when all is said and done, when God has strengthened us through his spirit in the inner man, that the Lord Jesus Christ is at home, is comfortable living in our lives. Now Christ is in your life as a result of salvation, but the question before the house Is Christ comfortable in our life? Is Christ at home in our life? That's a whole different story. So when we look at the whole of our being, when it comes to our eyes, is Christ comfortable with how we use our eyes? Is he at home when it comes to the things that I view with my eyes? When when it comes to my mind, the the ability to think and to reflect and to meditate, is Christ comfortable with the things that are going on in my mind? Is he at home Is he pleased to be with us, so to speak, when it comes to my thought life? When it comes to the words that come out of my mouth, is Christ at home? Is he comfortable? Paul said, I'm praying these things so that things would radically change in your life. So that'll be more than just Jesus being in your life, but Jesus being comfortable and at home in your life. Is Christ at home? Husbands, when it comes to your role as a husband. Is he at home with your love for your wife, with you loving her sacrificially, et cetera? Wives, is Christ at home in your role as a wife? Is he comfortable with your submission? Is he comfortable with your respect of your husband? Is Christ at home with me as an employee? Not just in the secular workforce, so to speak, as a pastor. As the things that I do here at the church. Is he at home? Is he comfortable? Is he dwelling? Is he at home with me? And so these are important things that we need to examine. And so as we look at our life, you might say, he's not comfortable with my thought life. Well, guess what? You can be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that it helps you and enables you to live a life that honors God, so that Christ is at home. You you can see why Paul is praying this marvelous prayer that these Christians be strengthened with power. Power to live the way that God wants us to live. If we're not living that way, my friends, it's not because God has not provided the resources. He has indeed done that. And Paul realizes that. And he says, God, I'm praying for the Ephesians. And I'm praying that they will be spiritually great. and What that means is that they be strengthened, be strong, so they can handle the various circumstances of life in the situations that we find ourselves in as we fight against Satan, the flesh, and the devil. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the other two petitions of Paul. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this prayer for spiritual greatness by the Apostle Paul. Thank you that it gives us some fundamentals of the prayer life, Help us, Father, to be able to check off on our list that there's a reason for our prayers, that there's a recipient, and that there's reverence in our prayers. And Father, help us to learn much from this prayer of Paul, the things that he's asking you to do. Lord, help us to realize that we Need to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man so that we might experience the reality that you are at home in our hearts through faith. May the Lord Jesus Christ enjoy residing with us. May we experience. His loving abode as we walk together and as we talk together, as we live our life for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.